It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. Shows on Twitter, of course, at Locked On Vikings. You can find this show anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. That's Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Podcasts, what have you, even Himalaya. And if you don't like any of those services, you can always just ask your smart device like Google Home or Alexa or even Siri. Play podcast Locked on Vikings, and it'll take you right to the most recent episode. And today, I have a report directly from training camp. I managed to actually get out there and sit in the bleachers and hang out with a bunch of other bloggers, which was really fun, and uh, just talk about what I saw and, and talk about uh, you know the takeaways that I have, the things that I learned about players that I didn't know a lot about. For a lot of these players, this is my first time seeing them with my own two eyes, especially like the undrafted free agents. I, you know, I didn't watch tape on them. I, I cited other people who had, if you remember how I decided to handle all of that stuff. So this is kind of my first impression of a lot of these people from actually being there and watching them practice live with my own two eyeballs. But before we get into it, a real quick note, uh, I apologize for the kerfuffle yesterday with the download error that I'm sure a bunch of you got with the Monday episode. Uh, that was an error in the upload. I, it has since been fixed. You should be able to download that, that episode and listen to it as completely like normal. Uh, so if you did miss yesterday's episode, you might want to listen to that one first and then listen to this one because I'm going to reference some of the stuff in that one and you're probably going to want to have listened to it. So pause this one. It's okay. I forgive you. I'll wait and I'll be right here when you get back, but go listen to that one uh, uh, before you you come and do this one. If you did listen to Monday's episode because you uh, looked at it after about like 9 a.m., um, then let's talk about training camp now that I've actually gotten there for a day. Uh, and I just want to tell you about some of some of my personal takeaways. Now, a lot of the things that I had cited came from, you know, only one padded practice and a lot of unpadded practice. So a lot of things are different. For example, uh, on Sunday, I talked about how Garrett Bradbury had a, a really good day. A lot of people had cited him as, you know, somebody who really stood out. And he especially kind of put the brakes on Jaleel Johnson. And they've been kind of going up against each other, Jaleel Johnson versus Garrett Bradbury. And uh, on Monday when I went was the complete opposite. Uh, Jaleel Johnson, and he's the guy I want to start with because I thought he was the star of the show. I thought he was the single player that exceeded his expectations the most on Monday in the practice that I saw, uh, I, he was just on another level. I just thought he he was disrupting just like every play. He really stole the show, upstaging like Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter next to him. There was one sequence, you know, we watched them do uh, one-on-ones and they, you know, he did his one-on-one -on -one against Garrett Bradbury and he just tossed Bradbury aside. And then he turned around and in the first two 11-on-11 reps, now if you remember with the injury things that are going on, both Shamar Stefan and Linval Joseph are still sitting out, so J Jaleel Johnson is taking first-team reps at nose tackle. He's the next man up there. So, you know, he goes in and against the first team, against, you know, Bradbury and, and Klein and Elfline and all those guys over there, and he immediately disrupts a, a wide zone play. He just penetrates knives right through and, and gets what would have been the tackle, and then on a pass play, he gets lined up against Pat Elfline and tosses him aside again and goes and gets in the backfield. And I swear, in those 11-on-11s, Jaleel Johnson was in the backfield on, like, half of the plays. He just was on another level today. Now, again, this is just one day. I didn't see all the other days. I don't know, you know, I don't have 
have a, a grander picture, and it's not like one day of training camp will ever project that well to the actual season. I'm not saying that, hey, Jaleel Johnson, he's going to be your starter. Watch out. No, 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 no. He just had a very good day, and, and that's where I wanted to start. And I also want to just uh, like throw out a note about training camp, uh, and it's because I, I got a lot of tweets when I was tweeting a lot of praise for Jaleel Johnson, and people were saying, oh, so that means Pat Elfline and Garrett Bradbury are bad. And my answer to that is, well, not always, right? Like, sometimes it is the case that, you know, especially in one-on-ones, you know, like, Jaleel Johnson just beat the crap out of Garrett Bradbury. Now, that's not necessarily Jaleel Johnson had a good rep. Garrett Bradbury has had a bad rep because it's symbiotic, right? They, they, you, it takes two to tango. Jaleel Johnson beat Garrett Bradbury. That is the, the way that you should say that. And if, you know, Jaleel Johnson is beating everybody he goes up against through all the one-on-ones, then you can start to say, okay, Jaleel Johnson keeps having good reps no matter who he's against. And that is, you know, I only saw the one day, and so I only saw, like, two one-on-one reps from him, and the rest of the work was in 11-on-11, so I can't really say that. But that's what you would say if that were the pattern. And sometimes in 11-on-11s, like, I think with the the first 11-on-11 play where he just knifes through and gets in the backfield and penetrates and disrupts the play, that's not necessarily someone messing up. It could be, and, you know, maybe there's some subtlety that I can't see when I'm watching it live, and usually when I watch tape, I slow it way down so that my stupid brain can figure out all the stuff that's going on in it. So I might have missed something live in that specific rep. But there are reps where, you know, the, like you just can't scheme, no matter how good you are at blocking, you just cannot scheme five men all standing shoulder to shoulder impenetrably. There is going to be space between them. And if you're really, really good and quick and good at reading the play, you will find that space and find a way to move your body through it. And I feel like some of the reps were Jaleel Johnson just doing that. And it's nobody's fault, really. The guy just made a good play. And and I think that if you really wanted to, you could go through every 11 on 11 rep and really figure out like if it was good and whose fault it was and blah, blah, blah. That's probably what the coaches do, but for us covering it, I would say don't worry about it too much. You know, look at preseason play if you really want to, like, break something down, because then at least you have, you know, it on tape recording, and you can rewind and play it in slow motion and kind of do what you have to do to really get a good grasp and understanding. But for the time being, I think just appreciate when people have good plays, and if people, you know, if there's a pattern, you know, somebody has bad plays over and over and over and over again against different people, then that might project better into the actual season and and create more of a, a genuine concern, or you know, a genuine excitement if it's good plays over and over and over and over again. Uh, But otherwise, I mean, I think it's just fun to see how these guys are rising and falling around the depth chart. For the most part in training camp, and this is my next point, most of the people were about as good as I expected them to be. And and that's talking about the starters, you know? Diggs and Thielen, they look very good. That shouldn't surprise anybody. Daniil Hunter is amazing to watch live. That shouldn't surprise anybody. Dalvin Cook can cut really well. That shouldn't surprise anybody. Kirk Cousins didn't miss a throw like the whole day. That shouldn't surprise anybody. He's always been excellent at that. Even down to, you know, after practice, he and Stephon Diggs and the two drafted rookies, Dylan Mitchell and, and BC Johnson, all lined up on, on the practice field after everybody else had gone in the locker room and just ran go routes so that Kirk Cousins could practice his go routes. And I tell you, every single one of those was a beautiful teardrop exactly where the guy was coming and hit him exactly in stride. And it's just that's just a fun spectacle to watch because go routes are just so pretty. You know, no pressure, no reading the field, none of the stuff that we talk about when we're really evaluating a quarterback, but it was just cool to watch him just drop every single one of them in the bucket like it was just nothing. And and But that's not something that should surprise you if you're, you know, up to date on what at least what my expectations for Kirk Cousins are and what I kind of like think I'm going to see from him. 
that's exactly what I would think to see from him. And it's not really like the, a, a lot of players out there are doing exactly what we thought they were going to do. So if you don't hear a lot about somebody, you know, if you don't hear a lot about like Daniil Hunter, it's because everybody already knows that he's good and he continues to be good and hooray, let's, you know, stay healthy and let's go into the season. So there's a lot more to talk about here. Next, I'm going to go into the injury report and some updates on some of the stuff that I talked about in yesterday's show. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Locked On Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you. 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash locked on NBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours. And you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. So first, I just want to start with a real quick note on Holton Hill, who appears to be working his way back into things. Uh, the last time we we talked, we were talking about how Holton Hill had been held out of 11-on-11 drill reps, uh, which was very much a Zimmer doghouse thing. Well, he participated on Monday in 11-on-11 drills. Uh, he was with the third team, which is not where he would usually land on the depth chart. He would probably be ahead of a guy like Chris Boyd, at least, you know, at this point in camp. So he's st- there's still a little bit of doghouse going on. Uh, but I think that's something that Mike Zimmer really sees as as a challenge to him. You know, work your way back onto the second team, prove that you're taking it seriously. And another note that I found kind of funny was, you know, they've been doing these wind sprints at the end. The thing that we thought was about uh, Dan Bailey missing his kicks. And then it turned out that that's just the way that, that they've decided that they're going to kind of do their cool down. They're just going to end practice with that basically, I think, every day but one so far. They've just ended practice with that, and that's been a normal thing. Well, at least today when I was watching, Holton Hill was running them the hardest, and he was the one that finished them first every single time. And that's a, kind of a funny note that, you know, he's in the doghouse, and that's how he's responding to it. And, and maybe that just goes to show how motivating it can be to want to get out of that Mike Zimmer, that infamous Mike Zimmer doghouse. In other news, there is uh, more updates to an injury report, and uh, it will please you to know that the injury report is getting shorter. Uh, at least today, watching, again, Linval Joseph, who's been sitting out of things, is in pads, but he still isn't participating in any of the actual 11-on-11 work. I actually didn't look at the defensive line, so I don't know if he did any individual work or if he just put on pads and stood there. Uh, but he's out there. He's not doing rehab. He's not on the pup or anything like that. So I would assume, again, like I said yesterday, it's going to be one of those things where they're just, like, insanely cautious with him. And it gives us a good look at guys like Jaleel Johnson anyways. Like, Jaleel Johnson's day-to-day wouldn't have happened if it weren't for this, and we can at least take that as a silver lining. Uh, but elsewhere, uh, Jalen Holmes, who had pulled up a couple days ago in practice, he was back out there, and as far as my eye could tell, he was a full participant. Uh, and also Brandon Zilstra came off of the pup. He was one of the physically unable to perform players. He's completely cleared to go, and he too looked like a full participant. Though I, I don't know if he had participated in 11-on-11s. It might have been you know limited participation or whatever. But he was out there. He was running around. He looked totally healthy. So whatever was wrong with him, I'm sure that that is very soon to clear up entirely if it hasn't already. 
And I think that's the only changes to, to the injury report. I didn't catch uh, Mike Hughes doing any rehab. I, I didn't see when he was out there, if he was out there at all. So I can't tell you anything about that. Uh, but I didn't see any other uh, appearances from any like Shamar Steffens or David Morgans. And I saw Jeff Baddett out there. He's out there, but he's in shorts and he's not participating in anything. And at the end of the day, he played a little bit of catch with Chad Beebe and that was pretty much it. And a couple other updates on uh, uh, things that I, I mentioned yesterday that I just kind of wanted to either confirm or change my opinion on because now that I've seen it with my own eyes, that's new information and I should reconsider all these things. Uh, the take about, you know, how, how polished and fluid the offensive line looked. I, I really do still believe in that. I, I think that uh, through all of that time, I never saw people in the wrong place, right? I never saw people mess up their gap. I never. I, I think I only saw one time in all of the 11 on 11 reps, somebody get into the backfield unblocked. And that was Barr on an unbalanced blitz. And, you know, those unbalanced blitz are de- blitzes are designed to screw up your protection calls and make it stupid. So I can, like, kind of forgive it. It's, like, meant to trick you. You're not just messing up, like, routine things. And I think back to this time last year where we were watching an offensive line that was just a mess. And they, they very often didn't know where to go. And the coaches were spending all their time talking to Brian O'Neill, which did pay off. But, you know, they were spending a lot of time, like, developing different techniques. And I think they were fine at that, but not really making the unit cohesive. Plus, there was all kinds of turmoil with Mike Remmers. If you remember, he missed, like, two weeks of camp. And, and Nick Easton was just now getting hurt. And we were figuring out what was going to happen there. And, and Pat Elfline still wasn't back. So there was all kinds of turmoil there. And now they look, you know, you've got all five stars starters right now getting reps together and for as long as they can stay together and I'm sure somebody will tweak an ankle and have to sit out a week of practice or something but for as long as they can stay together and get reps that's only going to get better and that is going to pay off dividends when it comes time to play meaningful football elsewhere in in the running game uh, I really love what I've seen from really the whole running back group you know Dalvin Cook has always been Dalvin Cook Alex Madison looks very polished very good vision he's very cerebral which I probably didn't give him enough credit for when I was doing my draft coverage I still very much worry about you know the the value of of the pick that was spent on him and if they're going to get that value back just based on how much they use him and how they use him and I still just don't like the idea of drafting running backs but we've hashed that out plenty of times but in terms of actual performance and the potential that you see in the kid, you can definitely see why he was somebody that was targeted as one of the higher running backs in the class. Just in, you know, he cuts very well, he knows how to read his own, he knows how to find the hole. And, you know, there was that one highlight from yesterday where he had this just gaping chasm to run through. They haven't all been like that, but he's been able to find tight holes and kind of find the opportunities to go out there and and try to get into the second level. And that's really promising. And even behind him, Mike Boone and Amir Abdullah both look really nice. So I think the running back group is going to be really strong. And I think that we're going to get to a point where somebody good gets cut from that running back group and somebody else in the league is going to get a free, pretty good running back or at least a rosterable one. I'm not going to change my my prediction on Mike Boone beating out uh, Amir Abdullah right now, at least not yet, even though I thought Amir Abdullah looked really nice in the kickoff returns. You could tell he was the veteran and all the other rookies were around. I actually liked BC Johnson's kick return too, and I'm actually kind of thinking about changing my mind about him. I have him on the practice squad right now with the roster, but I'm not going to actually make any official changes or anything until after the second preseason game, so I got all kinds of time to think about it. But he looked really nice in the kickoff drills where he returned kicks, you know, alongside Abdullah and Alexander Hollins, and Mike Boone got a couple of chances. He muffed one of them. Uh, Holton Hill did 
a, a couple of them in, in the kickoff drills. He took a couple back, but I don't like the way that he tracked the ball. He ended up, you know, when, you, when you're catching a kickoff, you don't want to be stepping backwards when you catch it because then to get forward, you have to stop your backward momentum and then accelerate all the way out of that stopped position. And that's a lot of wasted energy when, you know, those extra steps are precious, right? When you are trying to meet a, on a kickoff return, you know, those last, if you lose two steps off the end of your kickoff return, that could be four or five yards of field position. So the momentum with which you catch the ball and the way that you track it is really important. And Holton Hill doesn't seem to have that skill set the way that Amir Abdullah does and BC Johnson's pretty good at it as well. And then hilariously, CJ Ham actually tried to return a couple. He is certainly not fast compared to all these like cornerbacks and wide receivers and stuff. And he actually muffed two of them in a row. So a rough day for him in the kickoff thing, but that probably wasn't going to be his job anyways, except for the odd squib kick or whatever at the end of a half. And then elsewhere in special teams, so Dan Dan Bailey did not kick on Monday, uh, at least no live reps. I mean, he was sitting over on the practice field kicking, you know, ball after ball after ball with like Matt Weil and stuff. Uh, But mostly the special teams intrigue came in the holding before practice officially started, when everybody else was kind of out there and guys were still like stretching and stuff, you still saw Adam Thielen out there and the two uh, two of the backup quarterbacks, Kyle Sloter and Jake Browning, and a bunch of other candidates come out and actually practice holding with the two long snappers. And weirdly, that's like the most wide open competition out there. And I'm, I can't wait to see what happens in that preseason. I'm like genuinely, stupidly, this is the nerdiest thing ever. I'm genuinely excited to see who holds the field goals in that first preseason game against the Saints. It should be really fun to figure that out. So I want to talk about a little bit more about some of the scheme stuff, because one of the parts I found really interesting was when they went offense only. I, I found it fun to see, you know, when they do the offense only sections, what are they trying to install? Because those are the kind of things that, you know, and we're very much at the beginning stages of, of camp and stuff still, where they're still doing a lot of like walkthrough work, especially in that offense only part. What are they focusing on? What are they trying to make sure that everybody gets down right? That's always really fun. And then there's a lot more player evaluations that I want to get to, which I will before the episode's over. Hey, by the way, this episode is brought to you by Five Star Painting, a neighborly company. Five Star Painting is looking for new owners to join their growing company. Could this be the perfect opportunity for you? Are you driven? Do you have the heartbeat of an entrepreneur? If you're interested in running your own business, text Five Star. F-I-V-E-S-T-A-R, so the word five, all one word, to 87000, three zeros, right now to learn more. Choosing to start your business with five-star painting means setting yourself up for success by surrounding yourself with the best in the business and the best at the business. With five-star painting, you'll be your own boss, pick your own territory, set your own hours, and live a better quality of life running a business that you can be proud of. You'll have access to the best resources to help you scale your landscape business to meet your personal and professional goals, and you will go home every day with the satisfaction of helping your customers enhance and maintain the beauty of their homes. As a five-star painting owner, you will also be a part of the greater neighborly community of home service brands. Neighborly has empowered more than 3,700 entrepreneurs to achieve their dreams and goals through local business ownership. No one knows the home service industry better than Neighborly. Every year, nearly 1 million customers are proudly served by by one of Neighborly's 22 award-winning brands, some of which include Mosquito Joe, Molly Maid, Glass Doctor, and Mr. Rooter. Now, I am a little bit my own boss on this show. I, I do report to the network and for, for ad reads and all that kind of stuff, but generally I don't have anybody telling me you know, if I what I need to talk about on the show. I get to talk about whatever I want, and I get to go way along with this, which this podcast totally is going to, and I'm my own boss. I'm in charge of that, and that freedom, that liberty is something that I don't really get in my day job, where I do have a boss that tells me what to do all the time and tells me where I have to be and what I have to work on and when I have to have it done and I have to answer to that and deal with that. 
and I don't mind it, but it's so much better not to have that, right? So being your own boss is something that is pretty valuable. Whether you've been thinking about starting your own business or you're already running your own painting company, text 5STAR to 87000 to learn more about how a 5STAR painting franchise can help you get to where you want to go faster than going it alone. Again, text F-I-V-E-S-T-A-R to 87000 to learn more about the neighborly brands that may be available in your area, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. All right, so a real quick rapid fire, just some of the other players that I noticed that were kind of, you know, ups or downs. Uh, a lot of, and again, this is just one day, could have been a lot different on other days, and in some cases it actually was. One case where it was not, according at least to the bloggers that I was sitting, Eric Thompson and Daniel House I was sitting with, and Luke Inman, uh, you know, Tito Denebo is a mess. He really just looks like he might be the 90th best player on the field. He was stonewalled over and over by the likes of like Cornelius Edison and John Kenoy and guys at the very, very bottom of the depth chart and Tiano Papungatoa. I mean, he, he was really stonewalled by everybody and uh, it looked really rough. And when he got in on third team action and 11 on 11s and all that stuff, it, he just, he looks like he's not quite cut out for the NFL. And, you know, my, my expectations for him were, ah, oh, yeah, he's an undrafted free agent. I guess all of them are playing for the practice squad. But I, I don't think unless I start seeing something a lot different in the preseason or in the one other day, I'm going to go to camp on Wednesday, uh, and if I see anything different there, then maybe I'll change my tune on this, but I, I don't see him really putting forth any serious competition to the likes of, like, Curtis Cothran or whoever else. Uh, elsewhere, I really liked what I saw from Darren Smith uh, at safety. I thought that he played very cerebrally, very smart. He was contesting a lot of balls. Um, I, you know, I thought Holton Hill played very well, which I would expect him to do, right? He's always been a really good guy on the field in practice and in games. Mackenzie Alexander looks like he's just completely got it figured out. Mackenzie Alexander had a great day, and what was really nice is that that didn't surprise me a lot. It's really fun to watch, you know, Diggs versus Rhodes and Thielen versus Waynes and, and you know, other permutations of that. Like, those two wide receivers going up against those two cornerbacks is really fun. Trey Waynes is kind of out of his element. You know, I think the other three are, are a, a step above Trey Waynes. And there's a lot of lowlights of Thielen, you know, just dusting Waynes on these insane routes. But, you know, Thielen does that to everybody, so how mad can you be? Uh, elsewhere in the cornerback room, I thought Nate Meadors looked pretty much unrosterable. Uh, not only, I mean, there's that really bad low light of, of Adam Thielen giving him a disgusting comeback route, and, and he just stands no chance. But I saw Laquan Treadwell get him crossed up. I I've saw him get crossed up in a couple other uh Location, so I thought, you know, Nate Metter. I mean, he's he's an undrafted free agent, but I thought that he really struggled. I thought I didn't look very close at the Riley Reef versus Everson Griffin battle that had been going on. Basically, in every drill, they end up against each other. But I thought that for the parts that I did look at, Everson Griffin was winning it pretty handily. Uh, if you're worried about Everson Griffin like coming back to form or anything like that, I'm here to ease your worries. He doesn't look any different than any other time we've seen him play. He's tenacious. He's hard to block. There's nobody on the whole roster that can really stand up to him consistently. And I thought Riley Reef actually struggled a little bit, but not enough to be a concern. Uh, what I am concerned about is the wide receivers. I mean, Davion Davis had a pretty bad drop today, although he had another good catch to make up for it later. You know, after Diggs and Thielen, the whole thing's just a mess. You know, Jordan Taylor looked fluid and looked pretty good. I liked the way BC Johnson ran routes. Loved the way Dylan Mitchell ran routes. Chad Beebe struggled again. Um, but, you know, all, all of this is splitting hairs amongst a bunch of players that on a different team might not make the roster. And I think, you know, if we, if we see an injury to Diggs and Thielen, if there's anybody to pray for, it's those two. Because if we see an injury to either of those two, the team's really in trouble. That's something I'm very, very concerned about. I might talk about that more on a later episode because there's a lot more that I want to get to. 
I finally got to see what everybody's talking about with Jake Browning, who apparently has been throwing a very accurate ball. I think he's been more accurate on the whole than either Kyle Sloter or Sean Mannion. Sean Mannion's arm to me just doesn't impress me at all. I, I don't think that he is an NFL quality quarterback, and I think the only reason to have him in the room is for his like, you know, practice help ability and his whiteboard ability. And I think if you're gonna, you just cut him and sign him on as a coach, if you're going to do that kind of thing, I don't think he really offers you anything in the way of an insurance policy. If he had, you know, if Kirk Cousins went down and he was the guy that had to come in, I'd write that game off pretty much immediately. I don't think that he can operate an NFL offense. I just don't think he has the skill set to. I didn't watch Kyle Sloter too much either. I was kind of more interested in, in looking at what's going on with this Jake Browning kid. And maybe he's he's pushing Kyle Sloter for that like third spot, that developmental, you know, you're our project player kind of spot that the Vikings always reserve a roster spot for. Uh, you know, Jake Browning has been more accurate in the intermediate and short levels. The problem is he doesn't really have a deep ball to speak for at all. So, but as a backup, you know, maybe you don't, you don't need somebody that's firing 30 yard post routes and stuff. You just need somebody who can execute the easy stuff who can, you know, while, while Kirk Cousins goes through the concussion protocol, that's usually what you want from a backup quarterback. You don't really need to see somebody that is going to like come in and be just fine for a whole seat. That's not what a backup's really for. So maybe, maybe there is something to be said for Jake Browning actually entering this competition, which I didn't really think he'd be a part of. So that's something that I definitely want to watch more later. A couple other players that I liked what I saw from, I thought Danny Isadora had a nice day. I thought Adea Runa had a really nice day. Didn't see a lot from Ifadio Denebo. Didn't pay a lot of attention to him. I thought Richard Cliette looked really nice. Eric Thompson pointed out to me uh, while we were watching him play that he looks a lot bigger than he did last year, but he's still knifing through. He's still penetrating and he's making a lot of really good heads up plays. And I could go up and down really the whole roster for different things that I saw. But what I really want to do now is I want to talk about some of the scheme stuff that I saw because we're looking at some of Kevin Stefanski's, you know, most important plays. By by practicing them now this early, it's kind of a declaration that this is something I want to, you know, install as the baseline. We're seeing a lot of uh, kind of a declaration of what Kevin Stefanski sees as important. This is what I want to install, or Gary Kubiak, if you want to be a conspiracy theorist about it, which, I don't know, I don't necessarily disagree. But anyways, what I thought was interesting is I've, I've seen a lot of kind of, it's not the RPO thing, but a lot of splitting the field. And this is kind of a, the offensive version of what I've talked about with what Mike Zimmer does, where the, the field kind of splits and you have a, a man-to-man beater on one side and a zone coverage beater on the other side. And, and what Mike Zimmer does is a response to teams doing this a lot. But this is something we saw Pat Shermer do a really good job of. For example, there was one red zone play. And uh, Eric Thompson and, and I actually diagrammed it up there on the bench because uh, we wanted to see because it was really cute and it worked out okay. Uh, but basically the idea was that the first thing that I noticed about this that was wild was the alignment. It was an under center play. So Kirk under center and Dalvin Cook was the running back in that dot eye formation thing. And then there were four wide receivers, well, two wide receivers and two tight ends. So it was 12 personnel, but they lined up, nobody lined up in line. It looked like a four wide receiver like formation, but two of them were Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith. So Kyle Rudolph was out wide, which is wild. And then Irv Smith was actually in the slot, which is also wild. And then Adam Thielen was also in the slot inside those two. So that's such a weird formation. I mean, think about as from the perspective of like a defensive coordinator, and this is a red zone formation. So you got to worry about contested catches and stuff. And they come out, you know, in 12 personnel. So you probably got three linebackers out there or, you know, two linebackers and your version of whatever a J-Ron curse is. And, you know, you basically have to declare your coverage, right? If you're playing man-to-man, you don't want to sit there and put a linebacker on Adam Thielen and he's lined up in a spot that would get a linebacker if you were just playing straight man-to-man. So you probably have to get your linebacker to go split out wide and play Kyle Rudolph where he has all the advantage in the world out there. 
And you probably want to do the same thing with Irv Smith, which we talked about yesterday, is also probably going to get you bit. And then you have uh, Stefan Diggs over on the other side all alone, and Adam Thielen in the slot. And if you get a slot corner on Adam Thielen, you know, that has gone horribly for a lot of teams over the last couple of years. Or you put a good corner on Adam Thielen, but usually that guy's used to playing outside, and so you have an advantage that way. So there's just, like, no real good way to, like, defend this except for zone coverage. And they run a stick route that is meant to beat zone coverage. So you basically price them into either, like, you lose to -to man-to-man because the matchups are just broken, and what, oh, sorry, what stick is, is that both Thielen and Irv Smith run, run out routes out of the slot, so they run to the goal line and then run toward the pylon and, you know, cut 90 degrees and run toward the pylon, and that's a pretty easy way to, to get separation in the red zone, especially uh, against zone, and then that means that Kyle Rudolph is running just to clear out. He just runs to the back of the end zone and then out just to get guys out of the way, basically. And then on the left side of the formation, you have Stefan Diggs, who just runs a clear out route of his own, and a screen to Dalvin Cook, and so it's a it's a play-action, like, screen-type play. So on one side, you kind of have this, like, I am going to beat you with, with, a, with a pass play no matter really what your coverage is, and I'm going to find mismatches and do all this stuff. And sure, if you get through all that stuff... Or, you know, if you're the if you're going to blitz or something and it's going to ruin my protection and I can't take advantage of all of those mismatches, well, I got a screen on the other side. And they threw the screen and, and it, he got to the goal line, but it probably wouldn't have been a touchdown in a live play. You know, the defenders kind of pull up at the last second all the time because you're not doing contact. It's just practice. So, you know, the ref called a touchdown, but it's spotty. But at any rate, it was a really cute design. That was the only red zone play that they ran, but I really liked seeing that. And then in the offense-only section, where you can really see what they're trying to install, I saw what everybody's really talking about. For one, tons of under-center stuff. They are working on under-center play action. And to me, that represents a commitment to running more play action. And that pairs really well with the comment that Kevin Stefanski had on Monday in his press conference. He was asked about, you know, hey, if you haven't established the run, can you run play action? There's a lot of data about this, and this is kind of a, a topic of discussion, right? Do you have to have actually run the ball for the defense to think that you are capable of running the ball? And, you know, common sense would say yes, but at the same time, football is a very old game and people have always been running the ball. It's not that, like the defense is ever going to forget the run if you haven't happened to run any of this game yet, like because it's earlier because you're doing some strategy thing or something like that. And, I, you know, I would argue that no matter what you've done in the game up to that point, if it's second and three, they're always going to respect the run. And the data would support this and basically can Kevin Stefanski's answer to this question about this was like, yeah, I've read the articles, I've seen the data that supports it, we're going to do what works with our personnel, of course, we're not going to ask people to do something that they suck at, but yeah, he's like, yeah, I've I've definitely seen that argument, I'm familiar with it, and I don't hate it, and that, that was really encouraging, and I think my favorite part of it was, I've read the articles because that means that a lot of the really cool work that people are doing just out of, you know, passion for the game is actually being noticed by NFL coaches and the divide between, you know, the coaches and the the kind of exclusivity of who gets to be part of an NFL team and all the people that that like to do all the work anyways because it's fun but aren't necessarily doing it for pay or for an NFL team, that line is getting blurred, and I think that that's really cool. And then just a lot of misdirection, a lot of backfield motion things. They were just running a lot of end-arounds and reverses to guys like Irv Smith and B.C. Johnson, and, you know, and they're just kind of... I think getting used to the idea of having a lot of motion going on in the back in the backfield that mostly is designed to force the defense to declare the coverage and that makes the quarterback's job easier once you've done that it's not like to trick them or anything like that it's just to kind of like gather information but a lot of it too is for momentum you know you can be running sideways and backwards and then that makes it easier to do an end around the old quarter 
Daryl Patterson thing. Uh, and they were, they were practicing a lot of that tricksy backfield stuff. So I'm, I'm very excited to see where uh, Kevin Stefanski goes from there. And then, you know, I saw a lot of the zone run drills that the offensive line linemen were doing, and that's kind of what you expected from uh, uh, a Gary Kubiak and Rick Dennison offense. So I, the, the last thing I want to touch on real quick before I go is uh, a potential rule change. This came out late on Monday night that the NFL officials are talking about doing a, a bit of a crackdown on offensive holding. And you might, you know, be frustrated with this as a general fan because who wants more holding calls? That's really boring. That's not an entertaining product. But what I would argue is that it would disadvantage our bitter Green Bay Packer rivals. Now, they've changed offensive line coaches, so this might have been happening anyways. But there are other teams around the league that use what I call the hug technique. They were calling it a lobster block. But it's essentially the technique, and I've explained this before on the show, where, you know, you, instead of trying to push your hands into the chest of the defensive lineman to block him, you swing your hands around wide so that the defensive lineman can't swipe them away, like I just described that Daniil Hunter is so good at. They can't swipe your hands away. You get your hands under their shoulder pads and grab on, and and they can't move laterally. Now, that is technically holding, and it should be a flag every time, but refs never really call it because it doesn't look like holding. It looks like, to, you know, two guys whose face masks are right in front of each other. It's not like, you know, usually if one guy is on the side of the other and holding him back, that's when you get a holding call, or, you know, you get that arm bar under the arm, like that, that kind of stuff looks like holding, so they'll call it more often, but with this hug technique, it doesn't look like holding because they're basically making eye contact with each other, and their hands are on each other's shoulders, and it's kind of hard to see in detail if their hands are gripping the shoulder pads or pushing on the shoulder pads and that's you know difficult to see live when you're a referee so they don't call it very often this is how the Green Bay Packers get away with holding and we complain about it all the time right so the directive for the officials is to crack down on that more and essentially to outlaw the hug technique or the lobster block so if the Packers weren't going to get rid of that now now they kind of have to And that's really good to watch a division rival have to go through a change like that because the change like that will not come without cost. So that is going to have an interesting effect on things. You're probably going to see a whole bunch of flags in the preseason, and then usually what they do is they just tell refs to call it way more than you have to in the preseason, and then they go back and look at all those calls and say, okay, this should have been called, this probably shouldn't have been, and they kind of use that as examples to figure out exactly how they want to enforce this rule. So that's the last thing that I'm going to talk about on today's show. Uh, so on Tuesday, there is no practice, so I'll have more time to get into more of all this stuff, and, and, and I've got some ideas for what I want to talk about there. So I did kind of rush through some things, and I still went long, so I'm sorry about all of that. In the meantime, you can always find me on Twitter at LukeBrownNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. You can always find the show anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. And if you don't like any of those apps or scrolling through your phone, you can always ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings. I will talk to you all tomorrow. And as always, skull. Hey, Locked On Minnesota listeners. This is Tony Abbott here to tell you about the brand new Locked On Wild podcast, where my co-host Joe Bully and I break down the Minnesota Wild every single day. How can you listen? Just search for Lockdown Wild in your favorite podcast app and subscribe to bring Lockdown Wild to your device every day.